Welcome to chapel this morning. So glad to see you. You look good. I'm glad that you're here. I want to let you know that many of the songs that we do here on the chapel stage are from a community uh, called Taze in France. And that community uh, not only worships together, um, eats together, works together, but also writes music together. And you'll see on the screen here in just a moment, there are gatherings here in Texas, in Austin, Dallas, and Houston of the Taze community. And I want you to be aware of that. I also want you to know that we actually have two guests who come to us today from the Taze community. One is Andrea. Andrea, will you raise your hand? Fantastic. Andrea is Italian but comes by way of France. You can give him a hand if you'd like. He's going to be helping with the worship leadership today. And he also has a friend named Adam who's out at the table um, who comes to us from Australia via uh, France. And so I want you to know who these guys are because if you're interested in one of these gatherings, please go to the table in the back and pick up some information so that you can join them. We also have a special guest here today, but in a few moments, I believe Judge Starr will be here. He was uh, gracious enough to come back, even after having been in chapel last week, uh, to come back and introduce a good friend of his. We can thank him for that. And so I will, I will withhold that information from you until he comes to share it himself. Let's stand together this morning as we begin our time of worship.
join me in saying thank you for this beautiful music. Carlos. Mil gracias, Carlos. Please be seated. Good morning, Baylor Bears. You know, we're so... Good morning. Oh. Okay, we're in chapel. Shall we do it? Let all the earth keep silence before him. But it's always good to sick of bears. You know, you remind me that at Baylor we're so proud of our student athletes and we're proud of our All-Americans. And tonight, you know, the Lady Bears will be back. They're ready for a big win, right? Our Lady Bears will be in. And the Consensus All-American, we are so proud of all of our Lady Bears. But, but Odyssey will be there. and She's having such a great season. Today we have a Consensus All-American. America's leading courtroom lawyer is here today. And it's a blessing, as you say. Well, how, do you, how do you know that? I know it by virtue of his reputation. In the plaintiff's bar, the defense bar, the bench, Mark Lanier is right now at the top of his profession, of his calling as the premier courtroom lawyer in our country. By the way, as soon as he leaves here, we're going to have a quick bite to eat, give thanks to God for his time here, and then off he goes. Tomorrow at this time, he's going to be in Buffalo, New York, taking depositions, and Monday morning of next week, he's going to be in trial in Louisiana. I mean, that's his life. However, the reason he's here is because of his great heart and what he does every day for the kingdom and letting his light shine. Some of you from Houston. Anybody from Houston here? All right. Whoa. A lot of Houstonians. Well, there's a wonderful church, Champion Forest uh, Baptist Church. Oh, I heard that. That's good. Uh, and Mark's fantastic adult Sunday school class is the stuff of legend and lore really around the country. And people, when they're visiting Houston for whatever reason, I've been in his class a number of times, people there from all over the country because they want to sit at the feet of Mark Lanier. Very deeply learned. Hebrew, Greek, he's got all that up here. He's also a very, very uh, active, uh, what am I trying to say, Mark? Author. That's it. Where do you, where do you go? Author. Uh, and he has a new book coming out, Christianity on Trial. I'm very excited about it. It's going to be out come May, Lord willing, from InterVarsity Press. We're very thankful to have Mark in between depositions and before trial. Welcome Champion Forest Baptist Churches on Mark Lanier. See you. Boy, what a delight to get to be here. I did not go to Baylor, unfortunately. I'm sorry. I had to go to Texas Tech, uh, my safety school, because I couldn't get in. Yeah, I just I couldn't get into Baylor, so... I went to tech. But at least I got into tech and didn't have to go to the safety school for people who can't get in there. It's A&M, um, <laughs> you know, or UT, you know, one of those other really ranked schools. Anyway, it's a delight to get to be here because I have so many friends, uh, not just Judge Starr, but so many other friends who've been here. And during the last chapel afterwards, I got to stand down here and all these young, fresh, nice people came up to me and, and all of them said, 
you know my dad, or something like that, and it just made me realize how old I am. But anyway, it's nice to be here. So here's my question for you in this chapel presentation. It's a simple question. Everybody can answer it. Don't do it out loud. But the question is simply this, what really counts? Now, just because you're in chapel, you're going to have a tendency to say, uh, God. Okay? That's a chapel answer. I don't want your chapel answer. I want to know, in your life, when you face each day, what really counts? What are you in it for? Are you in it for, for fun? Are you in it for money? Are you in it for uh, uh, accomplishments? Fame? Popularity? Are you in it by default? <laughs> really, no clue, but hey, I'm here. Might as well live through the day. What really counts in your life? Now, i got to get a feel for you. How many of you are science majors? That's a lot. How many of you are engineering majors? How many? Yeah. Yeah. Um, how many of you are math majors? And the future bodes well. Okay. How many of you are English majors? Wow, that's fantastic. Political science. Okay. Okay. Greek. That was mine. Greek and Hebrew. Oh, well. I was going to give $1,000 to anybody who raised their hand. Um, it's too late. Time's up. Um, uh, all right. How many of y'all are undeclared? Don't have an idea what your major is yet. All right. And last question, how many education majors? A lot of education majors. Very good. Okay. So someone out there who's a real smarty pants and has a great sense of humor, when I ask the question, what really counts, someone out there is going to say, math. You know, it counts. You know, one, two, three, four. Okay, y'all, nobody got that, huh? Okay, that's fair, that's fair. Someone out there is going to say, what really counts is, I've gotten too far away, let me erase math. What really counts is true love. Aww. You know, next month is February, February 14th, Valentine's Day. Let me just ask, how many of you have a, significant love interest? Raise your hand. Oh, look at that. He was raising his hand and she pulled it down. <laughs> I just, I saw it. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Um, um, they're suddenly sitting further apart. Um, okay, how many of you don't have a significant love interest but are entertained by the idea and find it interesting? Okay, look around. That's the marketplace. Those are the people that are available. Right. Gives you something to work for. You got till Valentine's Day. Okay. I know some of you are going to answer true love is what really counts because I've seen the movie. Here's your clip. Hello in there. Hey, what's so important? What you got here, that's worth living for. True love. 
true love. You heard him? You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Sonny, true love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for nice MLT, mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes ripe. They're so perky. I love that. So maybe it's true love that counts. Uh, but now some of you may be saying it's something a little different. I have five children. Our oldest is our son. And our son teaches uh, uh, at this small little school over in England called Oxford. And he, yeah, he, I don't know where the brains came from, but it wasn't dad. Um, he's a bright boy. Um, uh, and he's got, uh, our other four children are girls. So we have one son and four younger daughters. And the younger daughters have taken it as their responsibility in life to keep up with their older brother and make sure that his life's okay. They dote on him, and they are very protective of him, even though he's the older brother. So we found out that he had a new love interest. Nora, the explorer. Uh, actually, her name's Nora. I've added the explorer part. Um, <laughs> hope she doesn't hear this. Uh, anyway, uh, so everybody wants to know about Nora, right? I've got to go over there on business. So Rebecca comes to me and says, Dad. Rebecca's 15 at the time. She's 16 now. Dad, I need to go. And I said, well, honey, I'd love to. Why do you need to go? I've got to check out Nora. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, everybody's voted. I said, everybody's voted? Well, you know, me and Mom and Gracie and Rachel and Sarah, all the women in the Lanier house, have voted that I need to go check out Nora and find out if she's okay for Will. And I said, well, I mean, honey, I'm going to have dinner with them. I'll be glad. no. Everybody's already said, if we rely upon you, you'll just say, she's a really nice girl. And that's all we'll get. And I got to give the real skinny. So I said, okay, if you can clear it with school, you can go. So she goes with me to England. We go to, I do my business, and we go to Oxford. We have dinner with Will and Nora. Now, I discovered a, a talent my daughter has that I had no idea. You guys may have it because you're in the right age group. She can take pictures with no one knowing it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if I'm taking a picture, it's like, smile. Uh -huh. She's like, I mean, the woman's got a gift. She's sitting there just walking around like this. Bam, 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 bam. She can focus. She can zoom. And then she can tweet the picture to her sisters or text it in a group text without ever looking at her phone. I mean, the whole thing's just like voodoo. <laughs> and so we go there, and we're eating dinner, and uh, um, I'm thinking that what Rebecca's going to do is after dinner, we'll go call her sisters, and she'll give the report. Oh, no, this is live. It's, it's going on every moment of the dinner. I mean, I found that out afterwards when, when, when I said to Rebecca, should we call your sisters and report? She looked at me like I was a dinosaur, like, Dad, that's old news. And I said, what do you mean? She had sent out 39 texts during dinner with pictures, everything she was wearing, everything we were talking about, what she ordered, what she ate. Did she eat it in order? Did she eat one food, one food, one food, or did she go food to food to food? All of it. Okay? Now, here's the further thing. So Rebecca's not happy with where I'm taking the conversation. I'm a lawyer dad. 
Mine is, so tell me about where you grew up. Tell me what your major is. Tell me this, tell me that. Rebecca is, have you read the book, The Languages of Love? Uh, Nora's, uh, no. Well, maybe you're familiar with it. They give these tests in the book to determine your love language. And there are four different languages of love. And by that, it's, it's the way we're wired to express and receive love. And different people are wired differently. And most people are wired in one category or another. And ultimately, there are four categories that are supposed to explain how everybody receives love and, and gives love. Their love language. One is physical touch. And so you express love or you receive love through hugs and, and kissing and physical touch. A second love language are words of affirmation. My, but you look nice today. You're really good at that. You did a great job. I just, you impress me. Boy, I, I'm honored to be with you. You're just such a super person and da-da-da-da-da, okay? A third group are acts of service. Let me get the door for you. Uh, can, I, can I get you something to eat? Can I get you something to drink? What can I do for you? Hey, let's, for Christmas, let's go to a soup kitchen and feed the poor. You know, acts of service. A fourth is, uh, words of affirmation, what have I left out? There's another one. Gifts. Oh, yeah, there are five. Quality time. Quality, I left that out of the first two chapels. Man, blew that one. Okay, um, y'all get the good one. Third time around, that guy can hit it. Okay, so uh, 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 there are five love languages. The fourth is gifts. It's giving presents, receiving presents. And the fifth is quality time. It's an investment of, of your minutes, not just as uh, afterthought, but, but truly dedicated minutes. So we're talking about it. Rebecca wants to know which uh, love language might be Nora's. And, of course, she's tweeting the whole thing as it's going down. Well, Nora's kind of like, well, you know, I haven't taken the test, and, you know, all of these sound wonderful, and blah, blah, blah. At which point Rebecca says, uh, the Lanier's have a sixth love language. It's not in the book. Nora says, oh, what's that? Food. We express love in food. You want to show me the love? Give me a muffin. <laughs> Make me an apple pie. Take me to dinner. You want me to show you love? Let me give you some food. Want some chocolate? Want some cookies? Want some cake? That's the Lanier love language. And the reason I say that is because for some of you, what really counts is food. After all, it's called Count Chocula. Oh, oh. Okay. Well, I mean, I could have put, like, Cocoa Pebbles, but, you know, what really counts? Food. Okay, here's my suggestion to you. This is why I'm talking about this in chapel today. I like all three of these answers. I think we could say what really counts can be food, true love, or math. I'm into all of it, but maybe with a little bit of a different twist than you thought about when you came in here. So let me put my twist on it. Mathematics. 
Mathematics to me are a reflection of the character, the nature, some invisible attributes of God. For example, and I say invisible attributes of God, do you see math? No. I mean, it's an idea. You can see an expression of math, but you don't see it. So it's an invisible truth that's there that expresses itself in different forms. It's an invisible truth that's consistent. It's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. How many of you have ever taken a math course? Obviously everybody. How many of you have ever missed a problem on a homework assignment? Everybody except her. Did you ever tell your teacher as an excuse? <laughs> excuse me, but I did this yesterday, and the answer yesterday was different than today. It changed overnight. Two plus two used to be five, and now it's four. I mean, I'll admit, if I was doing it today, I'd be putting four. But I, that, that excuse really doesn't fly, does it? Because math is math is math is math. And it's consistent and it's the same in most circles. Can I tell you a boring lawyer story for a minute? Okay, thank you. So we had this lawsuit that dealt with this drug. And the question was, is a drug for like uh, sore muscles and a sore back or arthritis or stuff like that? It's like a super Tylenol or super Advil or something, okay? But this drug arguably caused heart attacks in a significant number, maybe six times as many heart attacks as a similar drug. And so I represented a number of people, but the one that we had going to trial was for a widow whose husband was a, an athlete who had hand pain. And so he'd taken this drug for his hand pain. It was a prescription drug. And died of a heart attack. So we brought the case. And in the process, this litigation was extremely important to this drug company. Ultimately, to settle out all of the cases, cost the drug company on the order of $5 billion, with a B. David Graham with the FDA said this drug probably caused between 88 and 120,000, 88,000 and 120,000 extra heart attacks in America. So I'm deposing the president of the company. Now a deposition in court means instead of the, the, the witness coming live to the courtroom, we go live to the witness. We've got a court reporter, we've got all the lawyers, we've got a video camera on that witness so that we can play the witness's testimony at trial. The witness had droves of lawyers in their $5,000 Brioni suits sitting there. And there were scores of other lawyers in this massive conference room, probably 30 people plus. And I've got a couple of hours in which I can ask the president of this multinational company questions. And he's got to give me honest answers under oath or he can go to jail. Now, I have a tendency as a lawyer to have uh, a side of, uh, of me that likes to um, kill people 
um, for lack of a better way of saying it, you know, I don't, I, my view is, is, is my job as a lawyer, I represent a widow whose husband was killed because of this drug, and I plan on killing this company as much as I can to get my widow her due. So I'm very blunt with this man, and I'm polite about it. I mean, I try to smile while I kill him. And, <laughs> and the video cameras are rolling, and you know the man's feeling the pressure when you see the beads of sweat start to form on his forehead. And then you look at him, and even though he's wearing a suit, you see big circles of sweat under his arms as he's sweated through his shirt and his suit. That's when you know you got him where you want him. So I'd been saving my big fight for this. This guy might have been president of the company, might have had his MBA from Harvard, might have been one of the world's top corporate executives, but I thought he'd made some mistakes. See, when the word first got out that this drug company's drug might be causing heart attacks, Wall Street plunged their stock, or at least gave it a hickey. The stock market said, this company may not be as valuable as we thought. Their drug could be a problem drug. So the president made an appearance in front of the investment community and gave a speech to reassure the stockholders that the company was fine. And I had the president's speech. So I laid all of this out to him in testimony. Then I said to him, I said, sir, this is the speech you gave, isn't it? And I said it in front of him. He said, yes. I said, word for word, this is the typed speech. He said, yes. I said, you read this, yes. And you read this to reassure investors that their money was safe in your company because your company's drug didn't do anything to the heart. Yes. And in fact, you told them that, yes. And you read them this line that said, quote, when we first thought that our drug might cause heart problems, we ran a test. We took, I think it was 50 people, and we gave 50 people our drug, and, or maybe it was 100 people our drug, and 100 people a sugar pill. And when we did that, we looked at the results, and we had the same number of heart events on our drug as on the sugar pill. Ergo, therefore, our drug doesn't cause heart problems. I said, did you really say this? He said, yes. I said, did you shave that morning? Yes. I said, how did you look yourself in the mirror knowing you were going to go lie? He said, well, I didn't lie. I said, yes, you did. I've got the test. And I pulled out their study. In this study that supposedly showed the same number of heart events on the drug as on a sugar pill, had six heart events on the drug and one on the sugar pill. I showed it to him. He said, so? I said, well, six isn't the same as one. He says, yeah, it pretty much is. I said, what? He said, hey, in the world I live in, there's no difference between six and one. I said, I'd like to live in your world for a minute. He said, what do you mean? I pulled out my billfold and I handed him a dollar. I said, here's a dollar, one dollar. Give me six back. 
He said, what do you mean? I said, hey, no difference in your world between one and six. I'm going to give you a dollar. You give me six back. And we're going to keep doing that until you come to my world where one and six are different. <laughs> he, um, he got, he, math is math is math. Six is not one. Six is six. Although, some people say that six, well, never mind. That's, you wouldn't laugh anyway. But there, do, you, do you all tell the number jokes? You know, like, what did the zero say to the eight? Nice belt. You'll get there. Okay, so I'll leave alone what the six is. Um, so here's your point. Look at what Paul said in Romans 1. What can be known about God is plain to them. Now, Paul's them is all of us. You're part of the them. What can be known about God is plain to you and me because God's shown it to us. Namely, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. The world exhibits mathematical precision God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That precision of the world and creation is exhibited in our God. The consistency, the unchanging nature. The sun rises in the east. Did you know tomorrow it's going to rise in the east? I mean, it's not the kind of thing where, yeah, I think it is, but there's a chance tomorrow it may be coming from the west. No. Do we have any astronomy majors in here? Nobody? Do we know, does, do we have anybody who knows anything about astronomy? Okay, a couple. Maybe you've taken a course. Did you know with mathematical precision we can predict exactly where the moon will be? I gave this talk at Texas A&M one time, or I made that point at least at A&M, and some of the students were very upset and said, no, 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 at least one night a month it just disappears. That's A&M. We know better. <laughs> we know better. There is mathematical precision. We can look at the universe and we can behold attributes, invisible characteristics of God. He's consistent. He doesn't change. He's not going to be different tomorrow. And that's the assurance we have. And that's also evidence of God. It's a world that makes sense with him. So the character of God is something that really counts, something we rely on, this consistency of our God. Second, true love. Well, now that's almost a gimme. You know, if, um, if you got invited to dinner with the governor of Texas, how many of you would go? Okay. About 70%. If the President of the United States invited you individually to go get a hamburger and just have time with him, whether you like him or not, how many of you would go? Just about everybody. Does it not seem remarkable 
that the God of everything has a desire to have a relationship with us? I mean, it's almost impossible to even fathom and think of. For many of us, we just don't think about it. We just go on about our lives. But it's almost remarkable to think. No, it's not almost. It is absolutely remarkable to think that the creator God of the universe knows you by name and wants to be in a relationship with you. Such that this God who can't change his character, God will not become something he's not. Mathematics will not make 2 plus 2 equal 39 tomorrow. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He won't change his character. He won't change his justice. He won't change his holiness. He won't change his rightness. But he wants to be in a relationship with people who quite bluntly don't measure up. And so he's got to do something about our inadequacy. And that's what he does with Jesus. And that's what he did through Jesus. And Jesus' willingness to, in essence, take on my responsibilities and my sins and my shortcomings and yours and pay the penalty of death that God's justice requires is one of the greatest acts of love and devotion that anybody could ever know. Right before Jesus goes to the cross, he has this conversation with his apostles where he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is a special, unique love, and it's a devoted love, and it's a love that stems out of not only the character and nature of God, his consistency, his justice, but also his love and his compassion and his desire to be with us. To me, it's, it's so stunningly amazing. And, and, and the only thing that amazes me more is that we're not standing in line to get his attention. We're not waiting. When I was your age, this is how old I am. Stayed out all night to get front row seats to a Bruce Springsteen concert. Yeah, the boss. All night long. Now, don't get me wrong, I would still do that today, but probably more for you too than I would for Bruce Springsteen. But it's just remarkable to me that we don't stand in line for our turn to talk to the Almighty God, for our turn to relate to Him, to have lunch with Him, to have breakfast with Him, to talk to Him, to be with Him, to know Him. Instead, we're just kind of like, eh, He's there. That's just part of who we are. And in spite of that, he loves us enough to lay down his life for us and to call us a friend. See, when Paul's thinking about love, Paul wrote, faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Because love is something that's eternal. Faith, there will come a day where faith will be sight, where we have died, and we're in the presence of God, and we're no longer wondering Gee, is God there? Now, I suspect some of you wonder that very question. Is there a God? 
and I love to go speak to college students, and I try really hard when I do it to get into a forum where we can just have a back and forth. And maybe if I ever get invited back to Baylor, we'll set up something like that, just some place where we can just sit and talk. But one of the frequent questions I get is, is how do you prove there's a God? And I love that as a lawyer. Um, what time do I end? 12.10? 12.05? We have five minutes. All right. I'm going to spend one of those five minutes on this. Some people say to me, how do you prove God exists? And in this sense, they're thinking math or a laboratory, like how do you prove a base or an acid or, you know, just prove it. I want it logically. I want an A, B, C, therefore D. It's irrefutable logic. And, and, and that's a valid way to prove some things. It's a valid way to prove scientific things, some scientific things. It's a valid way to prove a mathematical equation. X equals 3 plus 5 is going to tell us X is 8. We can prove that by logic. Okay? But you can never prove something historical. You can never prove something of great, uh, great value like that. It's the wrong measurement. It'd be like trying to say the distance between me and this young lady wearing the black and white sweater is about mm, 6 gallons. I mean, gallons are a valid unit of measurement, but they measure liquid, not distance. So you don't measure proof in a scientific sense like that. If I said to you, prove to me that you love your mother or your father, you can't prove that with mathematical precision, even though you do. If I said, prove to me Napoleon was at Waterloo, well, we've got witnesses. That's not, witnesses could be wrong. He could have sent a short double. I mean, prove it. So in a court of law, we prove things by the preponderance of the evidence, by what's more likely than not. We look at the credible evidence. And that's the way you think of things like, is there a God? Prove to me there's a God. And I, and I, I go to great lengths because I've asked these questions. I say, well, what makes the most sense? Let's look at the evidence and recognize what proof really should be. Ultimately, when you get down to it, though, we have not only God and His love, but we actually know how to love because we see His love for us. And that's the reflection of that. So here's what we've got. True love and finally food. And I'll cut food short except to say this. Food is a marvelous illustration in the Bible. It's used from the beginning to the end. How many of you eat? Some of you? Oh, most of you. All of you. Wow. Except these empty seats up here where they didn't eat and now they're gone. Um, good. It's why Jesus used it constantly as an illustration. And he talked about blessed are the people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who seek a relationship with God Almighty because that's a nourishment and a food that actually helps you grow and feeds your soul and gives you reason to live. It's what counts. It's why Jesus would get up very early in the morning and go to a desolate place, go by himself, have one-on-one -on -one time with the Lord in prayer. Because he wanted the food and the nourishment. So here's my suggestion to you. What really counts? Food? Yeah, it does. Math? Yeah. True love? Yeah. But think of those in this way. Think of math as the character of God. 
Think of true love in terms of the example of love we have through Jesus. And for food, think about the need in your own life for prayer and study and time with the Lord. You don't have to wait in line. He wants you, period. You all have been very kind to me. If you'll stand up, I'd like to pray a blessing over you. Father, it's my prayer that you would bless everyone who's in here today. I can't begin to know where their struggles are, but you know each one. You know those who are struggling with school, with friends, with relationships, with home, with money, with future, with purpose, with faith. You know all of our struggles, Lord. And I ask that your face would shine in a relationship with you and your constant love, that mathematically constant, always reliable love, Father, that it would minister to each person who's here today, that you would touch them deeply in their heart, tenderly, hold them in the palm of your hand, call them by name, stoke the fires of their heart to walk in deep fellowship with you and minister to them exactly where they are as only you can. I pray this through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you guys. God bless you.